Hey, good morning, Northeast. A big shout out to those of you worshiping with us online as well. Uh, so good to have you with us. So good to have Gabe DeGarmo back with us as well, right? Uh, many uh, of the people this morning who've heard him and his passion were like, yeah, why isn't he just preaching all weekend? Because he has to run and go preach at his church now. And uh, gracious of him to come and spend a few minutes with us to give us an update. Uh, we are in this series called Marked, a series on discipleship. Today, though, we're talking a little bit about puzzles. It's really hard, really, really, really hard to build a puzzle without the box, is it not? Not that the box is completely necessary to the building of said puzzle, I mean, it's not like the box connects anywhere, you're left with a gaping hole if you don't have the box to attach the pieces. No, no, no. Intrinsically speaking and physically speaking, it's not necessary for the actual putting together of the puzzle, except that it's really, really, really hard to build a puzzle without the box, because on the box, you have the picture you're after. The box gives you a sense of what you're aiming for. It gives you a sense of the thing that you should be pursuing. And without that picture, it's really, really hard to know what you're doing and where you're headed. In the same way, I believe that discipleship is kind of like needing that picture on the box. When it comes to discipleship, it really, really helps to have a clear picture of what it looks like when we're talking about making disciples. What is the picture that we are after? Show me in real life so that I know what I should look like. Over the next two weeks, as we land the plane on this series, this week and next, uh, we're going to land the plane by going to Scripture and looking at a picture of what discipleship looks like in someone's life, what it looks like to be the disciple, what needs to be present in you as the disciple, what should you look like, and conversely then in the following week, what does it look like to be the disciple maker, what needs to be present in you in order to leave a spiritual imprint, a mark on someone else in their faith. Of course, when we think of pictures, right, and, and since we're in church and we're all good Jesus-loving people in church, we give the Sunday school answer, right? The picture of discipleship is Jesus. But as we've also unpacked in this series, sometimes that's a hard picture. Because when I think about Jesus and I compare him to my life or I compare my life to his, I so often feel like I can't relate. Jesus always seemed to have the right word for every person he met with. Jesus always seemed to know what to do in the hard circumstances. And I very frequently feel like I don't have the right words. Often, in fact, I choose the wrong words. Often there are situations that are overwhelming and I don't know how to disciple someone through it. This is why I'm so grateful that in scripture, we're not just given one picture of discipleship, we're also given many pictures. And over the next two weeks, we're going to look at, I think, the second best picture of discipleship in the New Testament, and it's the relationship between Paul and Timothy. This week, we're going to look at Timothy. What do, you, what do we need to look like to be a disciple of Timothy? Next week, what do we need to look like to be a disciple maker, a Paul? And we find the picture of a Timothy 
in Philippians chapter 2. So turn there with me in your Bibles. Philippians chapter 2, deep in your Bible in the New Testament. Uh, It's after the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts, Romans. And then Paul writes a series of letters to the churches that he's planted, including Corinthians, and then four little letters, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. We're after that third one, Philippians, then Colossians. Philippians chapter 2, Paul's writing to this church in Philippi. He's writing them to thank them. But in the midst of this letter, he gives us a snapshot of what it looks like to be a disciple. Philippians chapter 2, if you don't have it in front of you, we'll put it on the screens. Philippians 2 verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. So Paul's writing this letter to the church in Philippi. Philippi is a city in the northeast-ish corner of Greece. You'll find it still there to this day. He's writing to this church in particular, not just because he planted it, but after he moved on, after planting that church, Paul encountered severe difficulty in his ministry. He was persecuted. He would end up being imprisoned for preaching the gospel. And he writes and tells us that it was Philippi, the church here, that continued to partner with him and support him and encourage him through all of those trials. So in many respects, the book of Philippians is a thank you note written to the church, thanking them, even for a physical, tangible gift that they sent him to encourage him and help sustain him in ministry. But Paul, being committed to the gospel, seizes this opportunity as he's writing to thank them. He seizes the opportunity to tell them and to encourage them into how they can hold fast to Jesus during trials too. He doesn't want them to give up. And so he's going to use this as an opportunity. That's why in chapter one, he points them to follow the example of Jesus. Follow the example of, uh, or follow my example rather in chapter one calls them to follow his own example of holding fast. In the beginning of chapter 2, he he encourages them to hold fast to the example of Jesus and Jesus' example when he was pressed and persecuted. But then he gets to this in verse 19, pointing to the example of this young Timothy. And he holds up Timothy as a model for us. And listen to his words. I hope in the Lord Jesus send Timothy to you soon, that I too may be cheered by news of you, for I have no one like him. I have no one like Timothy. Now just stop there with that phrase for a moment. Paul holds up Timothy, says I have no one like him. Now I don't know about you, but there's someone that you really, really respect, maybe someone who's mentored you, poured into your life, you look up to in numerous ways. When they tell you, hey, I respect that person, that that person really stands out to me. You'd likely pay attention to that, right? For me in my life, when I'm struggling in leadership and I go to a mentor, I go to someone who's discipled me, and if that person that I respect says, hey, you know who's doing leadership really well? You need to get to know so-and-so. 
Or when it's parenting. Hey, you know, you know who's really doing it well as a parent that I just respect so much as a parent? You need to talk to this family. When someone that I believe in and I trust to go to for advice points me to someone and says, no one does it better than them, guess who I'm calling right away? Those people, right? So now just pause and contemplate what's happening in the text here. The Apostle Paul, the guy who wrote the bulk of the New Testament, the guy who's second to Jesus, I would argue has one of the most prolific ministries in the New Testament, planting the most churches in the New Testament, seeing the most fruit and the most people come to faith in the New Testament. This guy points to Timothy and says, I have no one like him. Do you or do you not think that we need to be paying a little bit of attention to Timothy? Timothy's kind of the unsung hero to some degree, right? This, this hidden figure in the New Testament, this image of disciple, what a disciple should look like. If the Apostle Paul's pointing to him, we need, we need to ask the question, what makes Timothy a disciple worth imitating Paul's going to give three qualities that make Timothy a standout disciple worth imitating. And we're going to ask this question, are those qualities in us? First quality in verse 20, I have no one like him. Paul doesn't just say I have no one like him. He says I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. That term welfare, we have to understand in the context of the letter and what Paul is writing to the Philippians. He's not just talking about Timothy has a kind concern and he brings people chicken soup and they have the sniffles. And that's great. We all need someone who'll bring us chicken soup when we have the sniffles. But that's not the kind of concern, the kind of welfare that Paul is saying Timothy's checking in on, that he's concerned about. The welfare that Paul's concerned with the concern that he has with the church and that Timothy shares with him is this concern that they are walking and holding fast to Jesus. Walking with Jesus, holding fast. It's a spiritual welfare that Timothy is concerned about. Paul's concern and Timothy's was that they would hold fast to Jesus. Consider what Paul says in chapter one. He says, it's my prayer that your love, the Philippians, your love may abound more and more. Love for whom? Love for Jesus. He goes on and he says, so that you may approve what is excellent and be pure and blameless at the day of Christ. I want you to be pure and blameless. And Timothy is a guy who shares this concern. Later on, he would say, I want to hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So when Paul's talking about Timothy, saying there's no one like him who shares in genuine concern for the welfare of this church, what concern is it that, that's setting Timothy apart? It's his concern with their walk for Jesus. The first quality then that Paul is pointing to in a standout disciple, is that disciples of Jesus have genuine concern for people's walk with Jesus. That was what was present in Timothy. That was what Paul was pointing to, saying, that matters, and I have no one like that. And he's highlighting this guy, implying you should be like that. A disciple of Jesus has a genuine concern for other people's walk with Jesus. Let's just pause on that, though, and ask the question, is that true of me and of you? 
that my genuine concern is for someone's walk with Jesus. Jesus himself, when he called his disciples, he called them and said, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men, right? So Jesus' goal, Jesus' standard was that we would become fishers of men, meaning that we would pursue people and our aim and our hope would be to, to lead them to care about Jesus, to know Jesus, to love Jesus, to walk with Jesus. We become fishers of men. That was what Jesus wanted to see in the lives of his disciples. The disciples of Jesus then have this genuine concern that others walk with Jesus. It's how we're marked as fishers of men and women. I fear, though, that more often than not, we're more concerned with work things than spiritual things. We're more concerned with financial things, political things, than kingdom things. I feel that we're more concerned with whether our kids get to the right school so they get the right job and earn the right kind of money than we are with their walk with Jesus. I wonder sometimes if we're more concerned about the wrong things. What keeps you up at night? Is what keeps you up at night a concern that the person in your life group, after sharing that they're going through a real wilderness right now, do you lay in bed the rest of the night concerned that they will hold fast to Jesus? More often than not, I go to bed that night thinking, well, tomorrow's Monday. Here are all the things that I have to do. I gotta make a presentation. I gotta do this. I gotta do that. More often than not, my concern is for the things in my world, not yours. More often than not, human nature strikes, and I'm concerned with tangible things, not spiritual things. Paul's pointing to Timothy, saying, this is a man who's concerned with people's walk with Jesus. There's a second quality, verse 21. He says, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. He says, I've known like Timothy who be genuinely concerned for your welfare for because they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. So this is an extension of that first quality. Timothy cared for your spiritual welfare, your spiritual interests, and he's set apart because no one else cares like that. Everyone else is worried about their own interests, not those of Jesus. Now, is Paul just throwing everybody under the bus? Like, systemically, like, hey, he's writing this church in Philippi. He's pointing to Timothy, like, nobody cares about Jesus. Kind of feels like a slam on Philippi, doesn't it? But that's not what he's intending. Is he suggesting that there's nobody who cares about Jesus? No, not at all. Paul has led so many people to Christ. He's writing to a church that he's established who cares about Christ, but there's something different about Timothy that sets him apart. It's not just that Timothy cares about Jesus personally. Timothy, Timothy was committed to building Jesus' kingdom broadly, tangibly, physically. Timothy was not just committed to his own faith and his own family. Timothy was committed to other people's faith and building the family of God, the kingdom of God. Timothy had a concern about the kingdom, and that's what Paul is pointing to. Timothy was with Paul still after all of this hardship, pressing on in the ministry in spite of the hardship. 
And Paul's saying he cares about Jesus' interests because he's still showing up when it's hard. In this, we see the second quality. Paul's saying, hey, disciples of Jesus live with a commitment to the kingdom, a commitment to the kingdom. You could put the in all caps there or, or capital K kingdom. Timothy has a commitment to the kingdom, not just a kingdom. The big K kingdom. And yet more often than not, our hearts get all stirred up and concerned about the little K kingdom. Not More often than not, my heart gets so wrapped around the little K kingdom. My little K kingdom, country little K kingdom, all these little things that aren't going right that I want others to fix. I want Jesus to fix. I just want Jesus to let me fix because I certainly could do it better than that guy, right? We get all concerned about the little K kingdoms. But Paul's pointing to a guy who cared about the big K kingdom. This is Timothy. This is a guy that, I mean, Paul held up so many other people. He, he writes and thanks so many people for their commitment to the gospel, for partnering with him, for serving the church. But Timothy's one of those standout figures. Timothy didn't just serve the church. Paul trusted Timothy to lead a church. Of all the other people that he acknowledges helped serve the church, Timothy's the one that Paul physically hands a church to and asks Timothy to lead that church and appoint elders in it. It's the church at Ephesus. That's the degree of trust that Paul had in Timothy. Why? Because that's the degree to which Timothy cared about the big K kingdom, building Jesus' kingdom. Just, just think for a moment about how Jesus taught his own disciples the disciples came to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us to pray. The Lord taught them to pray. Taught them to pray this. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That was how Jesus started the prayer. Jesus is trying to implant in us this care and concern as disciples for a greater, bigger kingdom. After that, this is Matthew 6 that he said that in the Sermon on the Mount. After that, Matthew 6 in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus would say this, verses 19 to 20. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures where? In heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Timothy stood out because his treasure was heaven. His treasure was what Jesus was doing. His concern was to be a part of what Jesus was building. That's why Paul trusted him. That's why Paul pointed to him and said, I have no one like this. And the question is, is that our concern too? Is that what marks our lives what does this even mean? What does it even look like? Let me give you an example of what this looks like, real-time picture. This looks like Mike and Sophie Pullen. It looks like Charles and Amber Kissler, who were members at Northeast. And when they heard that we were planting one community church in our community, they decided to give up their church family to go help start another church family so that other people might be introduced to Jesus. 
It looks like Doug and Christina Enfield, Matt and Megan Hamburger, or Bill, Susan Eubank, and the list goes on and on and on, who when they heard that we were planning King's Community Church with Gabe, they gave up their church family in order to go start a new church and show up and serve every Sunday, setting up chairs in the grind alongside with Gabe in order to ensure that there was a new church for another community and that those people would come to know Jesus because of their commitment to Jesus. What does it look like? It looks like the more than 50 people that we sent to Stone Oak Bible Church before we planted King's Community Church who all said, that we will give up our church family in order to go and help start a new church family because we care about Jesus' kingdom. Looks like a guy who came up to me seven years ago, and when he heard that we were raising funds for orphans, it was a Christmas gift, and we wanted to rally and do this Christmas cause, and we were going to help out with orphan care uh, in Honduras, and he came to me and he said, hey, whatever the church gives, I will match it dollar for dollar. And I immediately tried to talk him off the ledge. I was like, oh, I don't think you realize how much our church cares about orphans. This is not going to be a $10 offering. And sure enough, that Christmas Eve, we raised $25,000 more, actually, $25,000. I had to go back to him, and I was like, hey, remember that thing you said you wanted to do? He's like, yep, got it. Here you go. Out of his own work, his own account, his own company, he matched dollar for dollar in order to invest in the kingdom of God in a place that he would never go and never see. What does it look like? What does it look like? to care about the big K kingdom. Paul says a disciple of Jesus cares about that, the big K kingdom. And disciples of Jesus then live with a distinct commitment to that kingdom above and beyond anything here because we recognize this isn't the kingdom. All this will fade away. Last, the third quality in Timothy's life that Paul is pointing to needs to be present in ours as well, comes from verse 22. But you know Timothy's proven worth. Pay attention to that phrase, proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. You know Timothy's proven worth. That phrase in the Greek, proven worth, is significant. Uh, worth being a value, right? But proven worth. So this is, Paul saying, this is a visible value in his life that I want you to pay attention to. It was a term used by men tested in battle, who were battlefield tested. Term used the kinds of men and women who would end up receiving a medal of honor. Because what they did on the field of battle went above and beyond the call of duty. They weren't just brave, but in the midst of their bravery, they put themselves in harm's way in order to, to rescue someone else. And, and that medal then serves as this acknowledgement of that proven, tested quality that was physically, visibly evident to others on the battlefield. And now we honor in that person. Paul's saying, that's Timothy. There is a proven worth because you, he's saying, you have seen it, how he has served with his life. It's been on display. 
What is this in relation to? What's Paul talking about? He says it's in relation to the gospel. Timothy's given his life to the gospel. He says his son with a father, he's served alongside of me. He hasn't left. He hasn't departed. He has been committed. He hasn't complained. Paul's saying he served with me. It's, it's the third quality then of a disciple. Disciples of Jesus are faithful in service. I mean, that's, that's worded so, so simply, and we talk about being faithful all the time, and we can bypass this so quickly, but let's not bypass it. Let's recognize what Timothy was doing that was so significant. He wasn't just faithful, it was visible. He was so committed, everyone had seen it. And so I'm sure when Paul's saying, hey, I care about Timothy, I want to send him to you because I don't trust anyone more, for the Philippians, they're like, oh yeah, I remember that guy. Because there was something in him that was of proven worth, of visible value. True disciples, according to Paul, faithful servants. They're not just seeking leadership positions or titles. They're, they're simply focused on serving people. So what do we do with this? What's, what's the takeaway? Paul's given us three character traits. I don't want them to be lost, but I do want to rephrase them just a little bit. I, I want to kind of use them and put them in the form of a question so that as we come to the scriptures and we treat it as a mirror and we look at ourselves, we might ask these questions. Is this true of me? But equally, we'd be able to use these questions for people that we want to pour into and and people who are coming to us looking for discipleship, that we'd be able to ask these questions. And and is this true of this person? Is this a person that I can pour into? Here, Here are the three questions then. They're based off of these three qualities. The question is, do they care about spiritual things? Asking that of yourself personally, do you care about spiritual things? Is that what keeps you up at night? Are you that concerned for those in your men's group or women's group, your Bible study, that they care about spiritual things, that you care about their walk with Jesus? That is what concerns you. Secondly, are they living for the kingdom? And are you living for the kingdom? Is this person that you're investing, are they living for the kingdom? How can you help them live for the kingdom? But more importantly, are you living for the kingdom, the big K kingdom? Are you committed to that work? And then we ask, man, can I see their service? Can I see your service? Can you see my service? Is it so visible? Is is there proven worth in my service that if Jesus were to call me home, you're like, yeah, there's a gap. We've got a gap now because they're not here anymore. That if Jesus calls you home or Jesus changes your location, you PCS to the next place, that because of your proven worth, there's a gap. And we could say, yeah, I saw his service. I feel the absence of it. Are these things true of you? Because here's the thing, before we can go next week and look at Paul and what it means to be a disciple maker and leave an imprint on others, we first have to be a Timothy. Before we can do, we have to be. And the question is, are these things true of us? Years and years ago, 
or 15, maybe 16 years ago in Dallas. Uh, the church I was at in Dallas had a huge residency program. One of the reasons we, we care about having a residency here for church planters, their program is huge. There was a couple major seminaries in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex that helped feed into these programs. And one in particular, Dallas uh, Theological Seminary, where I went, um, was a big feeder. And we had then this huge residency program, sometimes between 15, upwards of 20 guys at one point in this, in this internship and residency program. And it was all about getting adjusted to ministry and learning to serve in ministry together, whatever was required. But there was this guy there for a season. We'll call him Kenny, because that was his name. That's what we literally called him, was Kenny. So now you know it's a true story. So Kenny had this funny reputation. He's this big, larger-than-life person made you feel really good. It's hard. Like he cared about people. But anytime the event was over and we started cleaning up, Kenny had this funny way of disappearing. Like when, when it came to stacking the chairs and rolling out the tables and putting the trash away, like Kenny had this funny way of just magically disappearing. And, and sure enough, after every event, as we're cleaning up, someone inevitably it would come to that moment where we'd ask the question, hey, where's Kenny? And I was like, well, clearly Kenny went home already. I mean, there's one time I remember he offered to, to take the trash out and he never came back. He took it to the dumpster and he just kept going. And, and it kind of became like this inside joke. Like we all knew like, hey, we're going to show up early. We're going to set up for the event. We're going to do the event. Kenny will be at the event. And then we're going to tear down for the event. We're all going to be asking the same question. Where's Kenny? Where's Kenny? It wasn't long before Kenny was no longer in the program. It was no longer before Kenny just wasn't working with us anymore. Because it's one of those issues of proven worth. Jesus said, hey, he who's faithful with little will be given much. Out of that experience, we formed some leadership axioms that I hold to this day, right? Never ask of others what you're unwilling to do yourself. Let's not be the leaders who ask people to come to an event if we're not willing to set up the chairs for it, right? And we're not willing to tear them down at the end of the day. Because we just keep asking that question, where's Kenny? Man, my prayer, my prayer for us as disciples, that people wouldn't be asking, hey, where's Jesus in this person? And when we show up, that the commitment is so clear, our concern is so clear, our intentions for building Jesus' kingdom is so clear, and our value to serve people faithfully, without title, without any acknowledgement, if that's the way it is would be so clear that Jesus would get all the glory and that when people look at you and me, they would see Jesus. Is that you? Can you be like a Timothy? Father God, we confess we cannot do this work without you. Lord, we cannot make ourselves into these people apart from your spirit changing our hearts, changing our values. God, without you doing a refining work to help us care about your kingdom, without doing a refining work in us to make us humble servants, God, without doing a work in us where we are deeply concerned that other people know you, Father, would you do this work in us to transform us? 
that ultimately, God, Jesus would be seen and evident in our lives as we seek to honor you and serve you and build your kingdom. Lord, for your glory, for the good of those who will come to know you, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. If you want to talk to someone about a decision you've made or let us know how God is moving through this series, visit nebc.ch slash contact. Be sure to stay connected with us throughout the week on social media or by subscribing to our weekly podcast. You can also stay up to date with the latest information about what's going on here at Northeast by subscribing to the Northeast News, our periodic newsletter that comes right to your inbox to keep you in the know. Thanks for listening to today's message, and we hope that you join us as we continue to make disciples on mission for Jesus Christ.